Bryony Tallis, I'd like to talk now about your new novel, Atonement, which comes out in a few days to coincide with your birthday. It's your 21st novel. It's my last novel. We interrupt this program to bring you a special report. is Cheap Seat Reviews. Hello, and thank you for listening to Cheap Seat Reviews, the podcast that explores the Hollywood film industry for the greater good. The greater good. Oh my gosh, that's not Sam. That's uh, it's Andrew. How you doing, buddy? I'm good. I almost missed that, because uh, I usually let Sam do that, and, and I just... It's not something I'm used to doing. Yeah, no, I appreciate it. Sam's not here tonight. Um, not going to even just wait, just going to let you know. Sam's not here. He got the second. Uh, we're we're recording a, a day late because he got the second vaccine shot yesterday. And we thought, well, if we give it him a day, he'll be fine. Well, apparently it's kicking his butt. So he's uh, literally, he's been asleep since about 4 p.m. It's now 8.30 p.m. as we record. So poor guy's just... He's he's doing his part to to keep us all safe, but he's he's just you know. So it's just going to be me and two other wonderful people. So with all that having been said, this is episode three hundred and thirty nine, and tonight we're talking about atonement. Atonement. This is a movie that I had never seen before, and I'm really excited to talk to you guys about it. Uh, I am Sean Allred, and joining me tonight is, of course, Andrew. Only swims in super deep fountains, Jimison. I didn't think that a mint was a place they made tones. But... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, surprisingly. It's it's uh yeah. Yeah. That was the worst dad joke I've told in about three weeks. Just Hang with me tonight. I'm struggling. <laughs> no, you're you're fine. You're fine. That's great. Let's keep them coming. I want all, all of them. And Will double checks all his letters before sending them triplet. <laughs> That's correct. Oh. Might be triple checks. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, gosh, definitely want to triple check. How you been, man? It's good to have you back on. I've been good, man. I've been listening to you guys. You guys are doing a great job. Loving it, loving the podcast, loving to be back. Oh, I appreciate that. That's very sweet, even though it's a lie. No, I'm just teasing. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, so so I've been doing this podcast. We've been doing this. Uh, Andrew's been with us since episode 100, basically. We've been doing this show for seven-plus years, and I'm still constantly looking to find ways to, to improve and whatever. And I, I recently read an article where in the intro, one, the intro needs to be shorter, so you guys will definitely notice that the intro is different. It's going to be shorter. Uh, it's just the way it is. The second thing is that I'm supposed to tell you why you should be listening to us specifically. I'm so actually supposed to intro my resume, I guess, as to why we are authorities on this subject. So I will start by simply saying I am a fan of movies. I've been a fan of film. 
And since I was a kid, I grew up as an only child, and I had many a summer, not quite like the cable guy where I turned homicidal and weird, but like, like the cable guy, a lot of my time was spent in front of the TV. Um, and I also had the brief pleasure of working with such fine people like Will on a TV show, and I've done a handful of films as well, all very low budget, and it was a lot of fun to do. And so, so there's, there's my resume, and um, I'm going to let Andrew give us his resume. I am also a huge fan of film, and um, my wife and I have, well, at, at least when we started uh, dating, we started a very bad habit and became an addiction and we bought a DVD pretty much every month. Uh, and for the past 20 years that we've known each other, it's, it's been about that. And so, uh, it became worse and worse and worse. And so we just, we love film. We love to watch movies and, um, uh, I am a teacher. So my expertise is in sharing knowledge with others. And so that's what I plan to do. That's cool, man. That, that works. That's great. Will, I mean, again, to put you on the spot, I didn't tell you I was going to do this, but what, 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 why did I, would I invite the likes of the, the brilliant person that is you, Will, onto the show? I have no clue. Oh, okay. Um, no, honestly, I'm, I'm along the, uh, the same mindset. I, Started in theater when I was in about the ninth grade, did 27 plays in high school, went on to major at a top 10 theater college, turned that into a, you know, professional career and then turned that into a director and screenwritership. And, um, it, it's always been a big thing for me to kind of draw from other people's work and, I, and I don't think that's plagiarism. I don't think I, I think that's what everybody in our business does and needs to do. Um, if we can pay homage to somebody at any turn, um, that's respect. And if somebody did it to me, I would feel respect from it. So that's that's why I'm here. It's been 20 years. I'm still in the business. And, you know, i it's a hard business, but I wouldn't change my life for the world. Awesome. I appreciate that. I know, again, like I said, I, I, I sprung that on, on both of you. And, um, but I just thought it'd be kind of fun to, to, to do that before we jump into this, frankly, kind of hard and heavy movie. Uh, so yeah. I wanted to do, do a little bit of fun there at the beginning. Well, I do want to pass out, out there that my, my skills are better used as a color commentator, to be honest. <laughs> so I don't really know much about anything. I just like to pretend. Well, I mean, basically even the subject I teach, I, I pretty much things. fake it until I make it. Yeah, basically, yeah. Yeah, I, I think actually, Andrew, that that's actually the mantra of most politicians too: is that they don't really know anything, but you know, they like to comment on things. And there you go. Me and Andrew will run on a ticket together. We'll be fine. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I well. like it. <laughs> That's a that's a that's a ticket I can get behind those two two nice beards. Uh, that'd be a really good there looking go. <laughs> poster. It'd be great. Okay, so this movie 2007's Atonement. Now, if you're listening to this show because Will said, "Hey, I'm on this episode. You should listen. We're so glad to have you, and we'd love you to stay." 
if you're a normal listener of the show, you're thinking, why would you do such a heavy film? And I'll tell you why. This, this idea for this movie literally came because Will asked a question on Facebook, gosh, a month and a half, two months ago, saying, hey, what's, what was your favorite movies of 2020? And I threw out one of the movies that I really loved of, of 2020 was Extraction. Again, I like the explosion chasing kind of movies. And if you're unfamiliar with my love of that movie, go back and listen to the episode we did for it because I just adore that movie. And I mentioned in my, my comment, my post, that there is a very long, I mean, Andrew, it's like, what, 12, 13 minutes, I think is what it is. Um, yeah. Like what they call a one cut, right? It's, it's one seamless cut. Now, there are cuts in the shot, but they hide it so well you can't tell where they are. And so it, it so it's treat so it's not a true one cut, but it feels like thirteen minutes of of one long cut. And what makes it so great is that it goes from in cars and out of cars and indoors and out of doors, and and that's hard. Will definitely knows that that's hard to do, especially with cameras, because you have to change the way light comes into the camera. You have to change the iris and all those things. There's a lot of moving parts, and they're doing it on the fly, which is really really great. So I mentioned that and Will says, well, Atonement has one of my favorite single shots ever. And I said, I've never seen Atonement. And he said, well, then we're going to do it when I come on the podcast. And so I said, absolutely. So here we are, 2007's Atonement. Uh, Now that I've given all that fun backstory. um, Atonement, again, 2007, is this is the rundown, according to IMDb, 13-year-old Fledgling writer Bryony Bryony, why I heard her name a thousand times. Why can't I say Bryony Dallas? Thank you. Irrevocably changes the course of several lives when she accuses her older sister's lover of a crime he did not commit. So yeah, yeah. There you go. Uh, stars uh, Kira Knightley, James McAvoy, and. I was super surprised to see Benedict Cumberbatch show up in this. Benedict Cumberbatch, mm-hmm. Shushi Ronan. Um, yeah. Yeah. That, yeah, yes. Uh, yeah, who you just said. She plays uh, Bryony at Bryony. Gosh, this is going to be in the second season. act and yeah. third. Well, no, third act. It's second act. Shushi yes. Ronan. Yeah. From, from Brooklyn. Really? No, 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 not from Brooklyn, but from the movie Brooklyn. Oh, you remember oh, the okay. film Brooklyn that was nominated for Best Picture in, like, 2016? I, I'm looking at it now, and yes, I do remember it. Had you not said that, I would have just assumed you were still talking about the city. No. <laughs> but she plays Hannah in the movie Hannah, which I have seen about half of. Okay. Which is a lot of fun. Again, it's a super violent action kind of a thing. We're okay with that. Yeah. Um, and she's really good at it because she, she plays that kind of, it's kind of the same kind of character, you know, a little, uh, emotionally cut off, um, little confused about things, but she also knows how to kill you with a fork. So a little, a little bit different, I guess, than her character here. Uh, also the kid from that everybody hates from game of Thrones. That was kind of funny to see him show up. Who? Which one? Uh, Alfie Allen. Oh, oh, uh, that's Lily Allen, the British pop star's brother, um, who is, oh, God. 
What's his character's name in Game of Thrones? Andrew, you remember it? I don't watch Game of Thrones. I've never seen it. I, I, okay. Well, you're fine. Same would be all over. It's Theon Greyjoy. Theon Greyjoy. Yes, Theon Greyjoy. Theon. Theon. I am bad with names tonight. My gosh. Uh, this is directed by I've Joe. Only seen. Oh, sorry. I, I've only seen one episode of Game of Thrones, and I was in a German hotel in Rothenburg, Germany. Rothenburg, Germany. Germany. Excuse me. And uh, it was the only thing on at like the wee hours of the morning. And it was the uh, episode where, I don't know the actress's name, but she's walking through the street completely naked and they're oh, shaming shame. Her. Oh, Yeah. Yeah. And uh, that's the shame. only episode I've shame. ever seen. Shame. Shame. It's, uh, yeah. I actually have seen You're that. talking about Cersei? When yeah. she's walking, she's getting. I guess that was her name. I, I, I honestly have no idea. Yeah, Cersei Lannister is the character name. I can't think of her real name. She played Mama in Dread. Uh, it's Lena Headley. Lena Headley. That's right. Uh, we've seen her several in several uh, cheap seat reviews movies. She was in yeah. Three Hundred. We got to see her very uh-huh. naked in Three Hundred. Um, and like I said, she was in Dread. Might be something else. I can't think of off the top of my head. Uh, but this director has done many things, many, many things. So he did some TV for a little while, and then he did Pride and Prejudice, which also starred Kira Knightley. And yeah, then, right, yeah. And then he did this movie, and then he did The Soloist, which... Soloist? Was a, that's great with uh, Robert Downey. Actually, very underrated. Robert Downey Jr. and Jamie Foxx. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's a good one. Jamie Foxx is good in it. I've uh, I've not seen it, but I heard... Many, many good things, but I, I haven't. I didn't see it. Just missed it. It's got Stephen Root in it. That's great. Uh, so then he does Hannah, and then the next year was uh, Anna Karenina. Karenina. Mm-hmm. I think I added too many ends in that. And and then he did Pan in 2015, which was objectively bad. That was a bad movie, but that's okay. And then he does the woman. Oh, the Darkest Hour. The, the biopic on the cigar drinking. What's his name? He doesn't drink cigars. Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that would be a little strange. This would be interesting. Yeah, it's, it's melt him down. Gosh, dang it! Uh, Gary Oldman played Winston Churchill. It's the Winston Churchill biopic. Good gosh, this is going to be a Winston Churchill, episode. the cigar drinker. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, where that might where be am the... I, cigars? I, I really need to drink. <laughs> I'm dehydrated. Hand, hand me my cigars, please. <laughs> while I, while I get, I need someone to come and read me Winnie the Pooh while I drink cigars. <laughs> <laughs> if no one else is entertained, at least we are. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh, this is great. Uh, I missed that he did Atonement be- between Pride and Prejudice and The Soloist. Um, so he's had a pretty good career, and he likes the uh, the period pieces there. He likes the... Uh, he does. Yeah. And, and uh, for he the does record, them pretty well. And I don't know if I express this to you, but for me personally, 2007, other than maybe 99, uh, is the greatest year of movies of my lifetime. Uh, the best picture nominees were There Will Be Blood, No Country for Old Men, Juno, Atonement, and Michael Clayton. 
And that's a solid lineup. We haven't had a lineup yeah. like that in a good long while. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, no yeah. country for old men. I love that one. Oh, yeah. It's a great film. You know, it's good too. Yeah, I was just interesting. Yeah, we've done we've done two of the five for the podcast because we did Juno a while back. Um, a friend of the show basically, I said, she said, I will, I'll, I want to come on the show and do Juno. And I said, well, it's never streaming. And she said, I will pay you the money to rent it. And so we did. We did the Juno. And, and thanks to Juno, Andrew knows what I'm about to play. Thanks to Juno, I have this clip forever. And I'm going to punch that bleaker kid in the wiener next time I see him. There you go. Yeah, Juno's great. Uh, Is is there a movie he's not in? Oh, J.K. Simmons? J.K. Simmons. Is there a movie that dude isn't in? I don't know. He needs to be in more. I wish he was in more. Yeah, (laughs) that's the thing. Uh Speaking of J.K. Simmons. Another one we should do, not to get off track, but we should definitely do Whiplash if you guys haven't done it already. We have not. Oh, we... oh my gosh. Oh, What an amazing movie. movie and great performance. Yeah, we don't always, we don't do a lot of great movies. Just be honest, we don't. We, we end up doing a lot of not great movies. Um, but I think 2021, I would, I would argue 2021 has been pretty good, I think, so far. Uh, on our on our movie list, I think we've had some pretty good ones. We've had some bad ones. Don't get me wrong, but you know, we did we 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 started off pretty good with uh, we did you know we did the American President, which is a really good movie. Uh, Hidden Figures, which we really liked. Ma Rainey's Black Bottom was great. Um, and then you know, of course, The Last Dragon. I mean, it's that's 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 it right there. So, is that the Reina and the Last Dragon or whatever it is the mm-hmm. No, we did. Um, so for Black History Month, we did we did four films that feature as the lead, you know, uh, uh, black actors. And so our first movie we did was Gemini Man with Will Smith fighting Will Smith. Um, and it was actually pretty good. I think we liked it. It wasn't great, but I thought it was fun. Will Smith action. And then we did the hidden figures and Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. And then the third, the last one was The Last Dragon was from 80. Seven. It's uh, yeah, somewhere in there. It's like Bruce. It's called like Bruce Leroy, right? It's it's not black exploitation, but it's you know all the all the good guys are black and the bad guys are white, and he knows kung fu. So anyway, uh, yeah, and we also got some good stuff coming up next week. We've got a real another good one. I think it's another good one. We have Road to Perdition next week. So. Sam Mendes in the house. Yeah, looking, mm-hmm. looking forward to that. So, Road to Perdition. Have you guys watched it before? Yeah, I have. I, I own it on DVD. Um, my favorite cinematographer of all time, Conrad L. Hall, uh, won that uh, cinematography Oscar posthumously. Um, he had won three Oscars. Uh, first one was for Butch Cassidy and Sundance Kid. Second one was for American Beauty, and his last one, after he died, was for uh, Road to Perdition. Great movie. See, this is literally why we have you on the podcast, Will. This is why, right here. Why? This is good stuff. Like, I would never have thought to yeah, research that. We, this is great. Yeah, we can't drop that kind 
I know. Ah, well, yeah, no. Yeah, he's. Uh, listen, I'm a fan of people. Well, I'm a fan of, and the people I'm not a fan of, I'm not a fan of. So I don't know anything about them. <laughs> That's fine. <laughs> we. Well, let's put it this way: we could drop that kind of knowledge, but it would take research. That's something we don't do here. <laughs> yeah. No. Yeah. My my. Tw- this is why it's cheap seat. Yeah. Right. No, you're learning. Okay. There you go. You're learning. My my 20 minutes of googling before the podcast is is about as close to the research as I get. Um, that's not entirely true, but a lot of times it is. I did a little bit, a little bit more of a deep dive on this movie in particular, mainly because I wanted to do my homework for our guest, but and not look like an idiot. But most of the time, like if we're doing the Last Dragon, yeah, it's 20 minutes of googling beforehand. Um. I'm I'm actually still I know we haven't done our five word review and we've barely talked about this movie, but I'm I'm still kind of interested in this idea that 2007 and 1999 are your are your greatest movies uh, years of film in your lifetime. I I, I find that really interesting. Um, yeah, I don't know if we want to. 93 and 94 are right there too. Um, I mean, I was born in 83. Yeah, and and most I would say most people, the few people that I've talked to, I like to make the argument that '84 is probably the best year in about a twenty-year span. Let me let me rephrase: of my lifetime that I can remember. That's fair. What like what I saw in the theater? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, ninety-three. Was really really good. Ninety four was really really good. Ninety nine with American Beauty, American History X. Those well, obviously go hard. And the Matrix. I and mean, then you know, I mean, yeah, Matrix. Yeah, too. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And then two thousand seven. I just love all those movies that were nominated for Best Picture. I thought sure. they were great. I don't. I don't know if you do the thing that I do, but I, I um, remember dates by movies. So. Like, my son was born the year that Avengers came out. Like, those are the weird things I think of. You know, when we were working together, that was the year Serenity came out. Um, the year I graduated high school. Uh, oh, crap. What came out that year? I can't remember now. Well, it was the year after The Matrix. Like, I always kind of associate those types of things. They're like my, my point of demarcation for some reason. That's just the way it kind of works in my brain. But anyway, I'm trying to think. What did what are your favorite years favorite years of movies mine um i mean i was born in 82 i have a soft spot for there's a hand i can't again i'm not researched very well in front of me but 82 is a good year for me it also has one of my favorite movies in star trek the wrath of khan but there's also um a bunch of other really good movies that year, like Raiders of the Lost Ark. And um, I can't think of anything else off my top of my head. 93, again, I'm with you with, right, 93 was Shawshank, Forrest Gump, and Jurassic Park, right? Or something like that? Yeah. Yeah. And 94 had Philadelphia at Forrest Gump. Okay, Forrest Gump was 94. So we were in, yeah. so we were in a real golden age. Then. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, if it like if it wasn't for the fact that Forrest Gump was so good, Shawshank should have won, right? Um, oh yeah, definitely. And, and then the other argument is, if it wasn't for the fact that those were so good, Pulp Fiction should have won. You know, right? I mean, it was right there. Yeah, I feel like that. 
that Quentin Tarantino uh, director Oscar was kind of just like a, well, we didn't give it to you for so long. So here you go. Once upon a time in Hollywood, have fun. Well, yeah, I don't disagree. And I also know that Hollywood loves movies about Hollywood. Yeah. You know, like um, you're muted. I can see you talking though. Like that movie? Do what? I, I haven't seen Once Upon a Time. I'm, I had I haven't seen it yet. Honestly, and this might you might rip through the Skype here and punch me in the face. I don't really love Tarantino. I think I, don't I think he's fine. I don't. I, I have been called un-American for not thinking Pulp Fiction is the greatest movie in the world because I think it's get fine. out of here. I, I just I don't I don't love it. I it's think. not even his best movie. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's not. His best movie is decidedly Inglorious Bastards, in my opinion, but... Definitely, yeah. And I, I, I appreciate it for how great it is, and I also don't like it. <laughs> but that's, that's my own issues. I'm not a Tarantino fan either. Yeah. I know, I know. About the most fun I get out of Tarantino is watching Kill Bill. That is a lot of fun. That's it. Yeah. Well, let's get on track. Let's talk about atonement. I want to talk, I want to hear what you guys thought. Yeah, man. So we'll do um, our five word review here. And uh, since Sam's not here to go first, Andrew, I'm going to let you go first. Okay, I've got two uh, five word reviews. The first one we've kind of already said, which was best one shot in film. Uh, in my opinion, I think it really is one of the most well done. Uh, one shots that I've ever seen. And I was sitting there watching, and you know, sometimes we see them in film and we don't realize that that's what it is. We don't, we don't think about it being a one. This one, I watched it and thought to myself, we have not seen the camera cut away. We haven't seen it cut at all. And, you know, this entire Dunkirk scene, really. And I was like, oh man, this is really, really well done. Um, so that was, that's my first five word. The other one is I, I had to use a conjunction to make this one work, but hmm. I'm glad I have sons. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, this, this little girl, Bryony, she, you, you don't really know whether to, to feel sorry for her or to just hate her guts. Like, you don't know whether you want to. I I, I don't know. I, at at times I wanted to jump through the film, or jump through the screen and strangle her, but at other times I thought yeah, she's just a kid. She's innocent. She doesn't know what she doesn't know, and you know, traumatic scenes can sometimes cause people to think weird things. And uh, you know, when you're growing up and you're sheltered, then yeah, there could be an incident where you see something that you only know what you know, and so you have to connect it to that, uh, and you don't really understand what's what's happening in a situation. But um, I thought that everyone did a great job in this. All the actors were just really good. She was fantastic. Um, the uh, Kira Knightley. I have always thought is uh, is really good in everything she does. I love her in 
Pride and Prejudice. My wife, that's her favorite mm-hmm. movie. And I have to say, uh, as <laughs> as much as I don't want to admit that it's a it's a good film and I like watching it because it's I, I guess I consider it kind of a chick flick, but, but I do. I mean, it's really really well done. Um, and she's it's fantastic well done, it. Andrew. But it is so boring and droll. It's like <laughs> it, a, it, it's like it a is, yeah. to get through. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and I guess maybe one reason I'm partial to it is because, you know, in birthing rooms now, women can have movies playing when their their children are born. And that was playing while my son was born, uh, uh, my first child. So it kind of has a special place there. But so uh, on top of that, you know, the the score to this, I love the use of the typewriter in yeah. the score. Yes, uh, that's my yeah, first I mean, note. It, Mine too. Yeah, it got it got a little... Uh, it got a little irritating, you know, here and there. Like I thought, okay, can we think of something different? But at the same time, I still liked it a lot, and it reminded me of the song "The Typewriter" by uh, Leroy Anderson. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah. So there we are. That's my two cents. Okay, great. Uh, I can't remember, Will, if I prepped you or not. Did you have a five-word review for this? I do, and mine's a little bit funny, and it's gonna. Uh, require a little bit of backstory. Okay. Um, when we pushed the recording a day, you said that's okay because I'm still emotionally compromised. <laughs> and my response to you was, it'll do that to you. And I realized that was five words nice. and I decided to go with that. It'll do that to you. Because this movie will affect and hurt and break you down in every way that it possibly can. And every single time that it takes you to the point where you think you're being uplifted, you get let down again. Um, So, yeah, it'll do that to you. That's my five words. It'll do that to you. That's great. No, that's actually super appropriate. And... uh... And uh, I'll, I'll maybe I'll say it. I'll go into detail later, or maybe not. But what happens when I'm doing these? When I, I usually end up having to watch part of the movie twice. Right? I'll watch it the first time, sit down with my wife, and then the second time is when I'm going back to pull clips for the show. And sometimes I get, you know, I I I pick up things I miss, and sometimes I I'll. Now I understand that, whatever. Because usually when I'm watching it the first time, I'm trying to absorb what I'm... Whereas the second time, I'm just I'm listening for a certain thing. And with that being said, when I mentioned to you I'm emotionally compromised, it wasn't like that I was like weeping or whatever. The movie at the end, I was angry. The only emotion I could express was anger and frustration. I was legitimately pissed at the end of the movie. And if we would have recorded last night, I probably would have said um, things like, I, I kind of hate this movie, but it's brilliant. You know, um, which I've said before about Wolf of Wall Street. I, mm-hmm. I hate that movie, but it's wonderful. Like, it's a great movie, but I never want to watch it because it makes me feel bad for the human race, you know? It's making me feel every way that I don't want to feel. Yeah, exactly. I don't want to root for this guy. You know, I want him to 
to crash his Lamborghini in a tree or something like that, as long as his kids are okay right. or whatever. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't want him to be successful and happy. And, and so I was feeling some of those emotions. Now, second time, getting a little bit of the, you know, the intro clip and some other stuff, watching it at the end, I felt sorrow and pain this time. And I thought, oh, maybe this is what I was supposed to feel the first time, or, or maybe I was supposed to feel the way that I felt. And, and now that I've, I know the whole story, and then I go back and I hear these words again, it changes the meaning a little bit. But I'm, I'm still kind of pissed <laughs> at the... I think the thing, yeah. that hits, the, the thing that hits me is when you get to the um, elder Bryony Talus, and you can see the remorse and it's not in her voice. It's not in her eyeballs. It's just in her face. It's in her body language. Like she is broken by what she did. She's had to live her entire life knowing that she ruined her sister and her sister's best friend's lives. And that's the hard part. That's really the hard part. And Joe Wright kind of flips the script a little bit when he has James McAvoy go to Kiara Knightley's apartment when she's a nurse uh, in downtown and Bryony shows up and you think that everything's going to be okay. And then it's just not. Yeah. It's a weird thing for me. Um, I don't know if you guys know Darren C in France, but um he made a film called The Place Behind the Pines with um, Ryan Gosling, um, Eva Mendez. Great movie. But it really flipped the... Th uh, Bradley Cooper's in it as well. Really flipped the three-act structure. And one of the notes that I made on this movie was it's really a three-act structure kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Even if the third act is only five minutes. It's very separated. There's this, and then there's this, and then there's this. And I love that. I think it's beautiful. Yeah, I, I, I can't disagree with those words. Uh, so my five-word review, I did two, mainly because I had a good feeling Sam wasn't going to join us tonight. So Sam usually does two, and usually one of his is pretty funny. So I tried to uh, emulate that. So... My first one was most fun had at library. I couldn't I couldn't use proper grammar to make it work for five, but most fun had at maybe <laughs> most fun had yeah at library yeah. Uh, and then the other one is I wrote was um, I'm using the word station, not as a physical place, but the hierarchy of how you're perceived in life in British culture that makes sense i'm using that word that meaning of station not the weird creatures from bill and ted's bogus journey uh, station station <laughs> matters more than love was my other one so yeah there you go you know i did think about while while i was watching this yeah and to kind of backtrack a minute Maybe I'm just heartless or soulless, and I didn't. <laughs> teaching public school might have done this to me. I don't know, but I, I didn't really get all the emotions that you guys are talking about. Like I didn't, 
I didn't have a strong sense of anger. I, I mean, I, I saw it and and I knew the story and what was happening, but I just didn't feel it. And I don't know if maybe I was in the wrong mood to watch the movie. I don't, I don't know. But it just didn't hit me and the sadness that I should have probably felt when I found out that both of them are dead and they never got to, spoiler, they never got to be together. I just, I don't know. Maybe I'm heartless. But um, uh, I was going somewhere with this and I've lost my train of thought now. Well, no anyway. Worries. Yeah, no worries. Well, I think I think to to touch on your point, I can understand what you're saying and a part of that is because the the three act format and the way that they're doing things is so off kilter. It's not rooted in any type of filmatic normalcy that we have we have watched our entire life. So maybe you get separated from that. I don't know. Maybe you do. Maybe, but I I remember as I was watching it, um, feeling that I really enjoyed, or thinking that I really enjoyed the way that they had done the film because it was so different, and it didn't follow that same formula, and so I did appreciate that in some senses, but I don't know. I just emotionally, it didn't do anything for me when we watched. Uh, like Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, that moved me. That moved me a lot more. Um, Yo, well, me too, for sure. Yeah. Uh, and there's something else we well, watched can, recently. I, I, and I'm sorry, I'm going to have to interrupt. Can, can can we talk about the fact that we now know Chaswick, uh, Chadwick Boseman was dying while he was doing that screaming scene to God, yeah. where's your yeah. God now? Where's your God now? Like, if that's not honesty and work, I don't know what it is. Yeah. That yeah. was a powerful and performance. It was, it was, should, yeah. He should win everything. That scene really hit me because he didn't, he did not tell anybody he was sick. Yeah. And he's standing there shooting that movie looking at his his counterpart saying tell me about your god where was he for me where was he for me where was he for me and you're watching that performance and you're going this is not a performance he really wants to know yeah. where was this where was this god for me yeah um you're gonna make me cry all over again just thinking about that movie that scene um Back to, to this movie and talking about um, the unconventionalness of the storytelling. There's uh, one of my notes was uh, Christopher Nolan would be proud of the time jumps uh, because this movie isn't, yeah. isn't truly linear. You know, we, we go from, you know, point A, point B, and then we see C or we see F, G, H, and then we go back to see how we get to there with C, D, and E. I think yes. the alphabet works. And I really, really loved it. I really loved that storytelling method because, I don't know, I kind of like it a little bit, not all the time, but I kind of like it when the storyteller is ahead of me a little bit as the audience. Mm -hmm. Whereas yeah. I don't, you know what I'm saying? Like sometimes when I'm the audience, I kind of like not, I kind of like not knowing exactly what's about to happen. Because it does create a little bit of tension and a little bit of anticipation 
And I think mm-hmm. that's great because I was for a movie that is like this. I mean, it's not a rom-com, but it's a romantic drama drama. Um, I was on the edge of my seat for a lot of it, uh, for a lot of this movie, which is unusual, honestly, for me. I felt, I felt the anxiousness in this movie that I don't usually yeah, feel. Some, some suspense there, definitely. Uh, another movie that I think does this pretty well is Knives Out. Mm, does yeah. this same kind of storytelling. Yeah. Oh, what a good movie. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's a, that's a really good movie. I love that movie, too. Um, okay. So I want to talk about something funny for just a moment, and then we're going to go back to the serious. Benedict Cumberbatch in this movie is great. And I am so glad I watched this movie after having seen him in Sherlock and Dr. Strange, because I think I would have been kind of pissed at him had I seen this movie first and then those movies and those, those things. Does that make sense? Yes. Um, because good God, what a horrific person that he is portraying. Uh, oh, definitely. Yeah. Gosh. I just, when, when he used the phrase, uh, I didn't, co- I didn't copy it, but when he says you have to bite it, he's talking about the chocolate. I was like, Oh my gosh, you were so creepy. Oh, but so good at being creepy, but so good now, at it. Yeah. Uh, yeah we, <laughs> he was so good at that line. Yeah. You have to, Bite it. Oh, very good delivery. Yeah. So are we led to believe, and maybe I missed this, but that he is in a romantic relationship with her brother? Or no, are they just friends? He, I think they're just buddies. He, okay. No, he marries the redhead. I can. Well, I know he does eventually, but I, I wondered when we first see their, the, the two of them together, I kind of got a vibe, but I wasn't oh. certain. Maybe there was a little something else there. Okay. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I never, I, I didn't pick up on that. Um, I didn't think that either, but I will rewatch. Well, going back to my point about on a rewatch, the one thing I noticed this time that I didn't before. So when they're sitting on down by the lake and uh, Cecilia, I, by the way, I had to watch this with subtitles. I could not understand half the people in this movie. I just can't. I, I, as I'm getting older, I'm getting worse with accents. I just am. So I had to watch this with, with um, subtitles, which I'm really, really glad that I did because they kept calling her C, and, it, it, and I never understood if they were using like the letter C because they don't use her name Cecilia for a long time. So it was really confusing. Anyway, again, that's just me. You know, you know what helps with that is to drink cigars. <laughs> yes. It's not bad. You're, I'm okay with it. Yeah, you're right. So the scene where they're down there by the lake and uh, he says something, he's talking about, well, you know, the upcoming potential conflict and whatever. And uh, C is, she's drinking something or whatever. And she says, this is not good. It's, it tastes bad. And then he leans over and says, oh, I make a wonderful drink with chocolate and things and whatever. And she kind of rolls her eyes at him as if to say, I'm not interested in what you say. I didn't notice it the first time, but on the second time, the look he gives her is basically like, in his mind, he goes, okay, she's not into me, done. I'm going to move on. Like, he's he's checking her off in his mind, like, all right, I have no interest in her. And it's not until the redhead says, I like your shoes, 
and, and gives him, you know, attention is when he starts turning the weird creepy on towards her. <clears throat> and I th- and she's trying to play she's trying to play the game. Yeah, she is. Oh yeah, she absolutely is. She's 100% flirting with him, you know, giving him the whole like head down but looking up at him and then uh she does a weird thing where she's grabbing onto the pole that's physically separating them but it kind of squats down a little bit. It there's there's a lot of sexual tension in there and of course my wife says He's like 15 years older than her. And I said, yes, in real life, maybe not in the movie. I don't know. But there's, there is an age difference there. Uh, there. Those things happen. They do a lot, especially, and we've commented before on the podcast, especially like in Hollywood, like Hollywood, not Hollywood couples, real life couples, which does happen in real life. But like in movies, it's, you know, it's okay for Javier Bardem to be married to Jennifer Lawrence. You know, it's just. Wait, is that real? It's in a movie called Mother. It, it makes sense in the oh, context. Gotcha, of, gotcha. It makes sense in the context of the movie after you find out what the context of the movie is. But Javier Bardem is like 47 and Jennifer Lawrence is like 24. Yeah, exactly. Um, Who really cares? Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Uh, so what's the over uh, under on uh, the film? Everybody feel really good about it. You want to jump on that, Andrew? Yeah. Oh, sorry. I got to unmute. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, I was talking and no one could hear me. I, uh, I'm kind of at a place that I'm glad that I watched it for the artistry for the, from the artistic standpoint of the film. Uh, I'm, I really appreciate it. As far as is it enjoyable enough for me to go and watch again? I, rewatchability, I don't know. I mean, there are certain parts that I kind of want to see again just to, you know, make sure that I have all my facts straight on the story and, and also to just experience the cinematography again. But uh, it's not going to make my top ten list anytime soon. Yeah, I, I, I'm sadly, I don't know if sadly is the right word, but I do kind of feel the same as that. And I mentioned earlier, like, the movie, you know, forced me to have emotions that I don't always want to have, which is good, right? You're, you're supposed to experience things with a movie. You're supposed to have emotions. Um, yeah, I, will I watch this again? Probably only if someone asks me to watch it. I probably won't say, hey... Wife, come over here. Let's get some popcorn and watch this thing again because um, it's not that kind of movie. But it's really, really good, and I am glad we watched it for the show. Mm-hmm. And I am, yeah. Um, and and Will, you're right. Now, again, Andrew mentioned it earlier uh, the the Dunkirk scene, and I want to go there for a little while. Th- this Dunkirk scene. Have you seen the movie Dunkirk, Will? Yeah. Um. I thought it was good. I didn't love it. I thought Sam it was... Mendes, right? No, that's Christopher Nolan. Nolan, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. From uh, what, 2019? Sure. I don't know. 2019, 2018, I can't remember. It was it was supposed to be the next this this big war epic and the the pissing on the tree and all of that. I yeah, I just I don't know. It 
I didn't love the movie. I thought it was frankly kind of boring to be a World War II movie about one of the greatest uh, heroic achievements in you know war history. I just it felt like there was just a lot of people standing around on a beach, and right. and in this movie, this scene of Dunkirk, you realize that it's not just men standing on a beach. There's a lot of stuff going on in this yeah. in this shot. There's people singing and crying and dying and drinking and living and laughing and I mean, looping around to see them crying and drinking and yeah. blah blah like it's they did that one time it was a three day setup and they yeah. did it once yeah we're we're here i'm gonna go ahead and read so this is the what what i i found about it shooting the five minute dunkirk beach scene was arguably the toughest portion of the shoot the shooting schedule dictated that the scene must be completed in two days because the crew had limited time with the 1,000 extras. However, the location scouts reported that the lighting quality at the beach was not good enough until the afternoon of the second day. This forced director Joe Wright to change his shooting strategy into shooting with one camera. The scene was rehearsed on the first day and on the morning of the second. The scene required five takes. The third take was used in the movie. On shooting Steadicam operator Peter Robertson shot the scene by riding on a small tracking vehicle, walking off to a bandstand after rounding a boat, moved to a ramp, stepped onto a rickshaw, and finally dismounting and moving past the pier into a bar. That's crazy. It's, that's it's, I mean, that's to do, you know, with a day of planning, basically, and then a day of shooting. Well, not even a full day. An afternoon. Of That's shooting. it. Yeah. An afternoon. That's amazing yeah. that you it's, can. It's get arguably that. the greatest shot in film history. Yeah, it really is. Yeah. Arguably, I mean, don't get me wrong. There are a lot of other really good ones. Mm-hmm. I'd, I'd be privy to you know paying them their attention, but this one is special. It's very mm-hmm. special. It, mm-hmm. It's it's special because. Like I, I, I draw back to extraction because that's kind of what led us here. Extraction is one note, right? It's just it's action, constant, nonstop action in your face, whatever, right? Like we're seeing one note, and it's a great note. It's a really, really good note. Whereas this movie is showing us a full orchestra, right? We're not mm-hmm. getting just yeah. one note. We're getting that's every, a great way to put it. Actually, yeah, we're getting yeah. so much. We're getting the symphony. Yeah. We're not getting the you know, just the celloist. Yeah. But we're getting the symphony. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like if, if, yeah, to keep with this metaphor, really, I think extraction is the hair band electric guitar soloist guy. And, and then this is like, we're watching the New York Philharmonic right here. Like it's just this, I mean, it's beautiful from the sunset to the, I mean, just if you haven't watched this movie, you should. I do think this is one of the movies that I would definitely recommend that you watch. And, Pay close attention because, again, well, we watched this partly because of that scene. So when it when it started, I knew instantly that we were here, and so it was just I'm watching it on my 65 inch TV, just loving every second of it because I knew it was coming. So this is my argument pro spoilers that sometimes it's good to know something that's coming ahead of time. I'm not saying all spoilers are great. I'm just saying sometimes, you know. It's okay. Yeah. It's okay because I because like I, I knew that this scene was coming, and so therefore I was waiting for it and ready for it. And then when it hit but, me, it's like, <laughs> oh my gosh, it was so good. 
but let me let me rebut that for a moment uh not knowing anything about this movie because you and i hadn't talked i didn't know this scene was coming and to me this was a beautiful surprise like i had no clue that this scene was upon me and when i saw it I, i was in awe of just how well it was done and then to find out that the the, uh, the uh, background, the history of that uh, in the trivia, I was blown away. Yeah, you know. Yeah, and I, I've always said that a piece of art, it's a good piece of art if it makes you feel something. And just because I didn't necessarily feel the emotions that you guys felt in this movie, this movie made me feel something because of how well it was done. Uh, and so in a different way, in my opinion, this is still a wonderful piece of art. Oh, yeah. I totally agree. Totally agree. Um, okay. So I'm going to move along because we're, we're – um, I, I could probably spend another good six or seven minutes just talking about this scene and telling you, the listeners, how jealous I am that I've never been able to be a part of something that – remotely spectacular um it's uh i've been a part of some fun fun things uh film wise but uh was never never in the budget for anything like that i'll just be be honest uh some of the last few notes i'm gonna i'm gonna rattle through before we get to clips and if you guys have any anything that sparks uh, any other notes you guys have you want to throw out here's now's the time um one of my first notes other than the typewriter music, was context is for kings. Um, that's a that's an old quote, and it was used most recently in an episode of Star Trek, the new series. And um, I just love that phrase, context is for kings, meaning because Bryony Bryony doesn't get the context of what she's seeing, therefore she acts the way she does. And I just I don't know. It, Made me feel a certain way about that. Let's see. Uh, second viewing, I noticed. Uh, oh yeah, I said that. Sorry. Uh, in is this the 1935's version of accidentally sending a dick pic? I think is what I put. Let's see. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, one hundred percent. That's exactly what it is. <laughs> It, it happened less I'm frequently. Sorry, that's, <laughs> but yes. Why did I never think of that? <laughs> yeah, if there was a way I could make that the, the name of the episode, I would, but I don't think I'm willing to put that on the name of the episode. I don't think we're going to do well if we do that. <laughs> no, no, I don't think so. Um, <laughs> it's just D, ampersand, asterisk. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I can't with y'all. <laughs> uh, let's see. I did write about halfway through my notes. This movie is going to stress me out. <laughs> also good. So uh, here's a note that I, I again, I, I noticed. Um, I thought this was great. So as the sound guy of this uh, podcast, um, though Will might argue otherwise, uh, having worked with me, that I... Uh, I notice things, uh, especially in sound design, more than maybe some or others. And there was a really great moment when the two of them are having 
the uh, the the lunch together before he ships off and she's about to leave and they're having it's kind of an awkward conversation. It's like they're I don't know, kind of meeting back for the first time before they have to separate. And it's a noisy restaurant. And then when the camera yes. pushes in on them, all of the sound falls away. And it's just the two of them. And I I, I noticed it as it was happening, and I thought it was just really lovely that uh-huh. that the it was a director choice to say these other people now no longer matter. It's about these two, and I don't care if it takes you quote unquote out of the film because we don't hear them. They're not important. What's important is what's right in front of us. And I just I love that. I thought it was very very wonderful. We're staying at home. We're we're staying at home with our story. Yeah, and. We're going to give you the vibrance of the world. But when that needs to go, that needs to go. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I did like the cool shot of the planes in the river. I thought that was a neat way to establish that they are still, in fact, in a war zone without having the camera look up at the sky and, and or have them say something like, hey, there's planes. You know, like we got to. It's a subtle way. I did. I, maybe I read this. I think I read this that that was actually if the planes had been flying at the level they were in the reflection, you would have seen them in the sky yeah. in the shot. Yeah, I think I read that somewhere. Yeah, they would have been buzzing the tower basically, but it was still a cool yeah. shot, and I didn't care because yeah, it like, was cool. That river was like three and a half feet wide, and you could see three planes in it. So yeah, but it's fine. I didn't care. Uh, a dirtier, less imminent death side of Dunkirk. That was another right. Uh, let's see. Uh, damn that head! That head nurse sent her in there to watch him die. I thought that was um, that was a tough scene when uh, um, Nurse Bryony had to go in there and hold that man's hand until he died. Basically. Oh, uh, okay. Sorry, I got to pause right here. Yeah, I said I said that this movie didn't make me feel emotions, but it did, and it was in this scene. Uh, when she's walking through the hospital with all these patients, I, I didn't. I think maybe it just caught me off guard. I didn't expect to see all these war wounds, you know, in this hospital, and they were pretty graphic. Like I didn't expect to see. I've seen worse, you know. I've, we've seen graphic films before, yeah. but uh, this just really kind of caught me. When she removes his bandage, and it just it really got me. When you just see brain there and yeah. blood and uh, it, that whole that whole section of this movie that one did it, again I wasn't extremely emotional but I was caught off guard and a little bit queasy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, yeah. Um, I'm I'm with you. So. <laughs> Yeah, it. I, I was trying to judge in the moment if if the nurse sent her there to watch him die for... I couldn't tell if it was for either A, because Bryony has kind of come across as very cold and aloof and, and, and distant. And so I didn't know if that nurse sent her there to put some humanity in front of her or she just wanted to punish her. Yeah, I, I kind of felt the same way. And 
I felt more like she was trying to punish her because she'd already had the incident where she had, you know, gotten a little too personal with a, a patient who was calling her Briny, asking for Briny, and not, uh, what was her last name again? Uh, Nurse Tillis. Nurse Tallis. Nurse Tallis, wasn't it? What was the last Tal- name? That's, Tallis, that's right? what it was. Nurse Tallis. Briny Tallis. Tallis, yeah. yeah. <laughs> again, names. I'm broken tonight. <laughs> So, yeah, no, it was uh, it was a powerful scene. It was it was it was because you don't expect that moment, right? When you when you pull the bandage off and see brain matter, like you're not expecting it. It just no, oh. it smacked you in the face, like whatever smacked him in the head. <laughs> uh, sorry. The last note that I have, which is actually from my wife, so it's the scene after uh, Bryony is leaving their apartment right he's he's made it back from the war they have the confrontation you're going to write the letter you're going to say that you didn't see the thing that you saw and the camera we're outside we're looking at her and as she walks away and swipes out a frame the camera kind of pans up and we see the two of them kind of making out in the window the curtain is just fluttering like an insane thing and my wife says I wonder what poor PA had to be up there shaking that curtain <laughs> during that scene. <laughs> so uh, that's it. You got any um, other notes? I do not. Okay, no. cool. Uh, under, uh, I will say, uh, I usually write down tropes. If there's any tropes that kind of smack me in the face. Um, these are tropes, but they're also period appropriate. So they're not, they're not just elements for movies. They're just real life. Uh, so instead of titling it tropes, I titled it Things Sean Hates. Uh, so the <laughs> the British aristocracy, that whole she can't be in love with him because he's just a poor dude, even though he does have an education because the old man wanted him. Who We never do meet the old man. He's just a, a name. Um, but that whole thing, I, it, it drives me crazy. I've been reading a lot of um, Ken Follett books. Recently, well, not yeah. recently, within the last few years, and it's all about that stuff. It drives me crazy. Status, yes. Yeah. Uh, sexual accusations. Basically, the, at the beginning of this movie reminded me of why I stopped watching Law and Order SVU with my wife. I was in that motherfucker. <laughs> I know you were. <laughs> I know you were. Um, yes. In case if if you weren't with us last uh, last time when Will was on. Um, I was watching an episode of SVU and all of a sudden, you know, the credits opening, opening dunk, dunk noise. And also I'm like, there's Will. And you were, <laughs> you were the guy what was making out with girlfriend and found the body. And then that's where the story went from there. And, uh, I was like, hey, really, really challenging work. Yeah. Yeah. Make out with a pretty girl and then find a body. So yeah, she was 14 in real life. So that's weird. <laughs> you, you are lying, right? No, her mom had to be on set. Really? Yeah. <laughs> there was she had to like sign off on it. Legal documents involved. Most <laughs> uncomfortable thing I've ever done. Yeah, because you were like nineteen or twenty at the time, right? No, you was, had a twenty. No, I was twenty-two. Twenty-two. Yeah, that's weird. Oh. Yeah, no. Trust me, I was uncomfortable. I know you were. I'm uncomfortable for you. Gosh. Okay. <laughs> Um, it's a job, man. I know. <laughs> they, somebody told you to do the thing, and you did the thing. You did your job. But ugh, okay. 
Uh, time for a few clips. I have a few clips. Um, Usually the clips that I try to pull, I try to find some humor. There's not a lot of humor in this movie. Um, So honestly, most of the clips are me trying to understand what they're saying. So there you go. Um, But I I did like this line here. We're guests in this house. And what do the parents say we were to make ourselves? Well, Piero? Amenable. Jackson? Amenable. Amenable. That's right. I like that. I don't know why. I just I thought those two little boy actors did a pretty good job. I mean, it's they don't have the much. Twins. Yeah, they don't, they don't have much to do. And this is like kind of their their it, right? Because when you click on them for IMDb, it's their pictures in uh-huh. this movie. They're literally hopping men, like <laughs> in real life. Not that they hop, but <laughs> so I guess they're not literal hopping men. But we've seen them in this, and we don't know where they went after that. Well, they got wait now. All of a sudden, I'm the weird one, Sean. <laughs> the, the hopping man trope is a, is a is a mechanism we use for the podcast. Where if we are introduced a thing and then we have zero resolution, it's considered a hopping man, and that comes back. That dates back to the episode of Dark Man that we did, where um, there was a bad guy, uh, one of the henchmen, who who comes in uh, to shoot up the whoever they're there to shoot up and. There's, there, there's supposed to be at like a meeting where there's no weapons. And then the guy leans over and he takes off his leg and it's a machine gun and they kill all the other people. And then the next time we see him in the movie, he's literally just hopping. He's just standing there hopping and the guys are using his machine gun leg. But then the next time there's a big fight, we never see him again. We don't know what happened to him. He just disappeared. So anytime we have this moment where we don't know what happened to them, there's no resolution, it's called a hopping man. Hopping man. Yeah. So, I mean, I guess like we don't ever really find out where the boy, like I wasn't, here's the problem with when you have a movie that has a un, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, I can't think of the word. My brain is shot. Uh, not a, not an inaccurate, a not untruthful. It's someone that's um, unreliable. Gosh, unreliable. The storyteller is kind of unreliable in this in the movie because we're getting it through her point of view most of the time. Sometimes then we'll get the context. But I feel like we're only seeing things that she wants us to see, if that makes sense. So mm-hmm. I I thought from the time we watched it that the that the note that the boys and I'm using air quote that the, the note as air quote, not the boys, they're they are boys. That the note that was left, she wrote. She wrote it yes. and then left it on the bed because she was trying to find a way to isolate uh, uh, James McAvoy or something. Like I couldn't understand the full um, purpose behind it, but it felt like she hid the boys. She told them to go somewhere to create this moment so that she, you know, in the moment of chaos or whatever, then then she could do the thing. And it just so happened that she stumbled upon um, Benedict Cumberbatch and the redhead girl doing, doing the stuff. So anyway, doing the things, doing the things. All right. Yeah. Speaking of Benedict. Oh, sorry, Andrew. Go ahead. Well, no, I, the time, the timeline right there, the timing of that scene where they're searching for the boys. (laughs) I mean, I guess there was time. 
for her to or for them to assume that McAvoy's character has done this awful deed and then found the boys. But it seems like those boys are old enough that if he needs an alibi, like they could say, he, you know, he was with us. But I don't know. I was just thinking that as I saw that scene. Well, I mean, obviously all the evidence is circumstantial. It's hearsay. It's from a girl that saw something in the dark, and it's corroborated by another girl that doesn't want the guy that actually did it to get in trouble because he is of station and McAvoy is not. And that's why the mom loses her stuff because there's nothing she can do because they're gentry, right? That's the term, gentry. I don't know. Gentrified. I don't remember. Our our listeners from from England will they probably hate me right now. I'm sorry. Um, I captured this. This is Cumberbatch saying one word, but it it took me three times to understand what he said. Again, I had uh, because I had closed captioning, and this is literally this is the word that made me put closed captioning on because I did not understand what he said. What do you have one? Rather. Bravo. See, you said he, you thought he said bravo. He says, yeah. ra- he says rather. R-A-T-H-E-R. Rather. Rather. Mm-hmm. Why? But I, I had the closed caption on, on as well. I can't, I can't deny that. Yeah. But when I heard it, that is not the word that I heard. Uh, it said rather. Yeah. But I heard bravo. See, I did too. And sometimes I wonder if... The closed captioning people just get it wrong. Well, you're you're not you're not wrong there. I mean, literally, I was on uh, the the, uh, the sudden but inevitable podcast uh, two weeks ago, right? Where I was on for the episode of Firefly called Ariel, and and you know, in Firefly, they use the word "go ram" as another you know as a uh, placeholder for GD or F or whatever, right? And the closed captioning person did not use the word go ram. They used the word grand, G-R-A-N-D. So, you know, you know, come over here or I'll punch you in the go ram head turned into grand head. Um, and then at the end of the episode, Mal says, wash, take us out of the world. The closed captioning said, take us out of the rim or, or something. It was different. So maybe you're right. Maybe closed captioning got it wrong. What do you have one? Rather. I don't know. Rather. Or bravo. I don't know. Just. I don't know. Um, Maybe there's just a evolution of etymology. Yeah. I just wish I knew what rather meant. I would rather have one. Is that what he's? He's just shortening it to that. I don't. It just seems yeah, like a maybe weird if we word if we use. have a British listener, could you help us out here? Send us an email. Let us know. Yeah, or a tweet or whatever. Send like, us a tweet. Yeah. <laughs> uh, here's a little bit of uh, Hitler talk. My source in the ministry is very reliable. He used to clean his shoes at Harrow. Informs me we have a good chance of including it to the standard issue ration pack. Which means I'd have to open at least three more factories. More if they bring in conscription, which I say is bound to happen if Hitler doesn't pipe down. He's about as likely to do that as buy shares in Marks and Spencers. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah. <laughs> I love pretentious Benedict Cumberbatch. I'm just sorry. I just love that accent. He's, he's so good, dude. Yeah. He's so good. <laughs> By Jove, I think he's got it. 
And the reason why that line, I had to, again, I had to figure out what that meant when he said he would have to buy shares in whatever he says, Maxon and whatever. Those are Jewish, it's a Jewish company. That's why that line is funny because it's a, it's a Jewish owned company. So. But he just does this thing where he goes so quickly into the vernacular of the matter and he just jumps right in. And I'm just going to speak as quickly as I possibly can. Uh, and then here's some more of uh, Cumberbatch, because I just like it when he says things. Oh, daddy says there's going to be a war. Your daddy is wrong. There you go. I like that. <laughs> yeah. You can hear, uh, That's you so can hear creepy. a little bit of Dormammu there. <laughs> hey, a little bit, yeah. Hey, what he, what he may as well should have said is, you've got the wrong daddy. <laughs> 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 uh, I don't know why I want to keep that. I want to. I, I should have isolated just where he says your daddy is wrong, but I think I'm going to keep this one forever. Oh, daddy says there's going to be a war. Your daddy is wrong. I just want to keep that part. <laughs> um, there was a couple other little vernacular things that they used that I didn't understand what they meant. Um, when uh, when we're at the war and they're hanging out in the house attic, and one of the the privates, or I guess it was the corporal, which is funny. I thought it was interesting that the the guy that was pounding around, not the big black man, but the other dude was pounding around with, he was a corporal, and he was treating McAvoy like he was the superior because McAvoy had education, but he called him a toff. And, and McAvoy says, and I'm not a toff. I don't know what that means. I didn't look it up, but I don't know what that means. So again, our, to our British listeners, please help us out. I don't know what that means. Also, please tell me what this means. Thanks, Bryony. You're a real brick. I don't, I don't know what that means. You're a brick. You're a brick house? Jeez, Mike, D. Mike, No? Okay. You're a brick? Yeah, you're a brick. Thanks, Bryony. You're a real brick. A brick. I mean, I again, think it just means you're solid. Is that what that is? I can, I can lean on you. I can rely on you. All right. I'm with you. Okay. Um, this is 23 seconds of something called Wounded. I don't remember what this is, why this is called this. So, mystery clip, here we go. A few men in yesterday, Luftwaffe blew them to buggery. Lost 3,000 men when they sang Lancaster. High command, his infinite wisdom, is denying us air cover. Disgrace, disaster. Look, look, the thing is, you see, I'm, I'm, I'm expected back, you see. There's over 300,000 men on this street, privately, you have to wait your turn. It'd be great if you're not wounded. That orders leave the wounded behind. That's why I remember. It's the beginning of Dunkirk. I, I'm sure that that was probably historically accurate, but my God, the idea that he was given orders from on high to leave the wounded just seems insane to me. And it seems more insane he would tell a private that because yeah. that's the kind of thing that gets a mutiny. Um, just... Uh, that, that kind of news spreads around, and uh, it, it feels like fights break out and officers get killed, in my opinion. Oh, oh sorry, friendly fire. The only thing fire. I wonder is, at this point in that war, if there was a candle to the wind a little bit, it, all the rule book went out the window. Possibly. Especially there, I mean, waiting on the beach for however long that they have to wait, uh, you know. Yeah, they, I mean, and they're... Some of them have given up hope. Some of them have just given up on life <laughs> well and the british the british you know the the army is basically saying you know we 
German tanks are a couple of miles away. We need to get the 300,000 that can fight again off the beach. And if that means leaving 5,000 there to die or to become prisoners, it's, you know, back to the whole uh, greater good part, you know. So I, I get it. I just, it, it's not something that should be said out loud. It's kind of part of my point. But again, I understand. Um, the last thing I know, again, we're, we're running really late, but there's a lot to talk about with this movie. And that's, so as McAvoy is, he's dying at the, uh, when we, there's a, there's a moment where, oh, I'm, I'm misremembering now. There's a moment where there's a memory that's being happened, right? And the, the lens goes soft, right? The, the image is soft. And I can't remember what it is now, wh- where that was. They, they used, um, they literally put pantyhose over the lens, lens to make it soft. I can't remember that scene. But anyway, my point was is that, I don't know what my point is. It just sucks that he died on the beach is what my point is. All right, time for this. And now for some more bad news. Ready? A couple of little bits of trivia that I haven't already mentioned, including only eight UK military ambulances from World War II remain, and this movie made use of all of them. thought that was cool. Um, on the DVD, com- DVD commentary, director Joe Wright reveals a lucky fluke that got caught on camera during the scene just before Robbie discovers the girls, the schoolgirls massacre. It's the point where he removes his helmet and the weather was very cloudy. As he looks up at the sky, the sun starts to shine on him and then got cloudy again the moment he puts his head down. I thought that that was a director's choice. You know, he's looking up to heaven, you know, he's he's remembering his, um, you know, his sea, his Cecilia, and so he gets a little bit of light, but then he puts his head back down and realizes he's back at this hell. And then it gets dark. It was just an accident. I think that's great. I just love that little stuff. Uh, and lastly, Bryony's appearance next to the stained glass window featuring Saint Matilda may also be a reference to saints to the saint's status as the patron saint of falsely accused people. Yeah, that's cool. There you go. Time for this. Excuse me while I whip this out. Time for top three, Andrew. Oh, I guess I should tell you what the the, the, the <laughs> top three is: uh, movies with um, um, authors or writers. Right, that's what we said. Yeah, movies with yeah, uh, yeah. writers. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I have, uh, I guess, a, a really great movie that I didn't like. Well, I, I won't say I didn't like. A really great movie that I didn't really know about until we watched it for this, and that was Shakespeare in Love. Yeah. Yeah, great, great one. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm going to include in this uh, top three Saving Mr. Banks. Okay. As number two. And then number one, uh, a really great movie, especially as a teacher. Uh, this includes several writers, and that's the movie Freedom Writers. Okay. I've never seen that. Oh. Oh, it's a good one. Okay. Wilmington, North Carolina. Yeah. Uh, oh, her name just left me. I had it in my head. Uh, anyway. All right. <laughs> Will? 
my number one. Actually, I'll start from the bottom. My number three is Barton Fink. All right. My number two is Misery. Yeah. And my number one is Adaptation. Adaptation. Have we seen that? Dick Cage, Meryl yeah. Streep. Cover of the poster is a potted plant that's fallen over and broken, right? Oh, yeah. No, yep. I've never seen yeah, that. Yeah. Interesting. Charlie, Ca- Car- Charlie Kaufman film. Interesting. Huh. All right. <clears throat> Very cool. Um, I uh, I posed this question to uh, our um, uh, our social media accounts. Uh, I was received messages back in the form of, on Facebook from a good friend of mine, Kira Berry, who says, um, "Stranger Than Fiction" with Will Ferrell. Great movie. Uh, Kalia, who was on a few weeks ago with Pages and Popcorn, said, "Misery." A uh, friend of ours, Andrew, Dave Saliba, said Secret Window with Johnny Depp. Also a great uh, movie. Uh-huh. It is a good movie. Yeah. I, I like that movie a lot, too. And uh, also a friend of the show who was uh, was on a few, well, more than a few weeks ago, well, a while ago, and will join us again soon in May, I think. Melissa Apple uh, is as good as it gets. Oh, yeah. yeah. That is good. Why can't I place the author in that? Was it Meryl Streep? As good as it gets, wasn't it? Um, wasn't Diane Diane Keaton? Uh, I thought. Hold on, I thought Helen Hunt was the lead. Helen Hunt. Helen Hunt. Yeah, okay. Yes. Yeah. We did that for the podcast. Amanda Peet, Jack Nicholson. That that movie could be. Um, was Amanda Peet in it? I don't remember seeing her boobs. Um. <laughs> she shows her boobs in everything I, she's I ever been in. Remember her by her boobs. I don't know. Well, I mean, she shows them in everything she's in. I'll show you mine right now. Oh, that's good. I, I've actually seen yours. Well, that's okay. that's usually how my wife gets my attention when she wants me to remember <laughs> something. Um, and then on Twitter, um, Jesse from the Sudden but Inevitable podcast, uh, who will be on with us next week, says uh, also said Secret Window, um, and he said Sinister which I've not seen, and Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. Who's the author in Fear and Loathing? I don't know. I've actually never seen Fear and Loathing. So, I don't know. But when I did a Google search for this topic, that movie came up every time. So, so If you do watch Fear and Loathing, you're going to be so high, you're not going to remember it. Oh, interesting. I'm I'm going to get a... I'm the saying, point of that movie. Like, I'm going to get a contact tie from watching it? Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Oh, okay, that's yeah. cool. My three are, um, I went <laughs> kind of silly on the first one with Romancing the Stone. Um, Fair enough. Yeah, it's fun. Uh, I also did Shakespeare in Love, and then my number one, I did Finding, wait, Finding Forrester. That's what it is. I wrote Finding Fisher, but that's not it. Finding Forrester. No. Yes, yeah. Sean Connery. Finding, didn't say finding Forrester I love was it. directed by um, God, who directed that? He directed a show I watch. Anyway, great movie. Yeah. Uh, Gus, Gus Van Zandt. Uh, uh, Sean Connery. Gus, Gus Van Zandt wrote it or directed it. Yes, Von Zandt. Yeah. Or Von, Von Zandt. Uh, sorry. Sorry, a few other uh, 
films that uh, I was saving because I didn't know if anybody would mention them. But uh, there's one called Mary Shelley that came out just a few years ago mm-hmm. that uh, tells a it's kind of a uh, biography film, biographical film in a way. And then there's another one called Midnight in Paris, which yes, that's a Woody re- Allen film with Owen Wilson and yeah. Yeah, that's I, a great film. I, it's it's really good, and it actually mentions several actor uh, authors in that film. Right, that's yeah. kind of the whole point of that movie, actually. Is, yeah, yeah, yeah. I wonder oh. about movies about like fictional uh, authors, like about time or. Um, you know, films where you find places that you have characters that are writing something that's totally fictional. Does that apply, or are we talking about the real stuff? I think, I guess in the in the in the the vein of this the this top three, I think it would go for any right. Because was Bryony Tallis a real person? No, I know that Atonement. The movie is based on Atonement, the book, but you know, but that's it's all that's all fiction. So I, I don't think that it, you know, again for this top three, I think that's perfectly fine. I mean, gosh, romancing the stone, that's you know, <laughs> there's there's nothing very real about that movie other than how much I love it, and I love yeah. the uh, the escape on the little mule Pepe. Anyway, time for this. Well, Wait, that's a better... Oh, sorry podcast conversation to have well we did is favorite books oh favorite favorite books you said favorite books that have been turned into movies interesting have we done that we could do that well i don't know if we've done that or not i don't know i think i think we have but i, I can't remember we probably have as a top three um yeah yeah i'm sure we have in a, in a movie or as a top three we've not um yeah i'm in fact i'm Ninety-nine percent confident we've done that one, um, which is good. Um, it's always a fun category because I uh, I'm actually going to be on a podcast coming up in June or July. I can't remember where the podcast where you literally read the book and then watch the movie and compare and contrast the two. And so the book and movie that we'll be doing will be Minority Report. We're going to do the oh shit yeah we'll do the the short story by Philip K. Dick and then the, the movie by Spielberg. So that'll be good. Looking forward to that on pages and popcorn podcast. All right. Time for, I'm going to play this clip again. Wait, what's supposed to happen? Out of 10, we're going to give this movie score, a score from zero to 10, 10 being the best zero being rubber. And, I'm going to just give a little primer and say, sorry, primer. We're in America. Maybe it's primer. Whatever. Uh, IMDb gave it a 7.8. So maybe that helps you. Maybe it hurts you. I don't know. Uh, Andrew, you go first. Uh, yeah. So, again, like I said, it, it, I think that the film is well done. I think it's, uh, as filmmaking is concerned, I think it's very well made and truly a piece of art. Um, I, 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 if I were trying to redo it to, to make me, I don't know, to make me like it better, I don't know what I would change, but I just know that it, I didn't connect with it 
on a in an emotional sense as far as the storytelling and the uh, well, you know, just watching these characters develop. Um, but I do appreciate uh, the the way the story was told in those cutscene, you know, flashbacks and sort of time jumping that we mentioned. So I'm going to give this. Um, I'm going to say probably about a six point eight out of ten. Okay. No problem. Six point eight. What you got, Will? Oop. I love being in the venue with somebody who is a little more um, critical than me. Um, I tend to jump into really feeling like if I feel it, I feel it. And this one I feel. So I'm going to give this uh, 8.3 because of emotionality. Sure. So I mentioned this a while ago because we've been recording for a while now. And I, I, I realized as we were doing our now that I didn't really fully flesh out why I was pissed. Because I didn't, we didn't really get a chance to talk about it. So when we, when the, literally when the credits rolled, I looked at my wife and she looked at me and she says, I am really mad right now at this movie. And I said, I am too. And the reason why I was mad, not because the characters died, not because we were given a false narrative that they lived happily ever after. I'm, I'm okay with that. To me personally, and again, on the first viewing, the second viewing, I had a little bit different reaction. But on the first viewing, I was mad at um, old lady Bryony that she uses the phrase, I gave them their happiness. And to me, it felt like her a way of kind of copping out to what she's responsible for. In my opinion, she is 100% responsible for their deaths. She is responsible for that and for effectively ruining their lives. But because she wrote the story, a happy ending, to give the reader hope, it feels like she's absolving herself of that sin, in my opinion. Atoning. Atoning for her sin. Thank you for bringing it around. The second time I watched it, when I was pulling the clip for the whatever, it was more, I had more of a sadness about it that she was just really sad about the thing and she has lived with this guilt for her whole life and maybe that's why she's not, uh, there's no evidence that she's married, but I don't think she is. I, you don't see a wedding ring or anything. So, you know, she's she's lived this life alone and um, she's poured her life into her work, into these novels and... So I had a little bit of a sadness to it. So, I mean, am I, am I way off base with being kind of mad at Bryony thinking her of, she's kind of the villain of the movie. Um, and I know I'm, I'm kind of being mean and throwing that at the end of the podcast, but. Um. Well, no, I don't think you're, I don't, I don't think you're off course there, but at the same time, I look, I look at it from a child's perspective as well, because even though this is her fault, she, like I said at the beginning, as a child, she, yeah, I guess she does know at, at some point that it wasn't him and she could have come forward. But again, she's a child and she's scared at this point. You know, does she, what happens if she comes forward? You know, 
Uh, and I think there's stories like that that happen today uh, in today's society that are very similar. You know, there are kids that witness things all the time and don't come forward because they're afraid or they, they don't know what's going to happen. And so in some aspects, I do, I was very angry with her. But at the, uh, on the other hand, I was, I felt bad for her. Yeah, I mean, I agree. It's a young kid who's making a big mistake. And at the end of the day, it's, you could have been better off rolling through, you know, the frozen tundra of emotionalism and saying, I screwed up. I'm the one. I'm the one. But she never did that. And yeah, so I have, I have beef with her personally. I really do. But had she forgiven herself, I'd been okay. Yeah, I don't know. Anyway, there's there, there's a lot to dissect in this movie, and I, I almost feel like uh, we only really scratched the surface in the hour and 40 minutes we've been talking. With that all having been said, though, I'm going to give it a score of... Uh, you know what? I like the IMDb ranking. I'm going to give it a 7.8. I, 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 it's just, it's a really great film. I mean, it's truly, I don't use the word great very often when it comes to movies. I get a little annoyed when people are like, oh, that, that Transformers movie was great. No, it was fun. It wasn't great. There was nothing great about it, except the visual effects were great, but it's a, no. Uh, so, so whenever I use personally, whenever I use the, the word, it's great. I mean, again, I love Extraction. I don't think it's a great movie. I think it's a lot of fun, and that one shot is great. But that's mostly because of the Russo brothers and Chris Hemsworth. But otherwise, you know, good, fun movie, uh, not great. This movie, not fun, but great. And uh, it is, uh, many people need to watch it. There you go. That's it. I have nothing more to say. I've run out of words. Um and frankly, energy and <laughs> and time. This was so much fun. Oh my gosh. Will, thank you so much for being back on the show. It was great. Always, my brother. Always. Whenever you want me, I'm here. Okay. Well, you said that the other day on Facebook, and I'm going to, or in Twitter or text, not Twitter, but uh, in a text, I'm going to hold you to it. Um, you're going to become the, uh, uh, with the Justin Timberlake of the podcast. We're just going to keep having you back on and back on. And it's, and I'm, I think it'll be good, personally, but I don't know. Maybe you'll get sick of me. But while you're waiting for Will to come back on, go to our website, cheapseatreviews.libsyn.com. L-I-B-S-Y-N.com is how you can get all of our old episodes, uh, including the last episode that Will was on, where we did the uh, League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. So I think... uh, Will making me watch through such an emo- emotional roller coaster that this movie is his payback for making him watch that movie. <laughs> uh, Facebook.com slash Cheap Seat Reviews. Uh, at Cheap Seat Cast is where we, you can find us on Twitter. We're on Instagram. Cheap Seat Reviews, I think, is our Instagram account. I don't know. I actually do post stuff there now. It's kind of fun. Next week, we are doing Road to Perdition. Uh, Jesse um, Bailey from sudden but inevitable podcast will be joining us for that looking forward to that it's going to be a lot of fun um another you know, kind of a, another hard movie about some hard hard subjects though there is a little bit of humor 
I remember in the montage there being some humor. That's going to do it. Emails is cheapsuitreviews at gmail.com. Please send us your emails. Um, that's going to do it. On behalf of Will and Andrew, this is Sean saying thank you guys so much for listening, and we'll see you next week. This is Cheap Seat Reviews.